Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. As the midterm election nears, there are a number of new voting rules and methods that threaten to limit the voices of Native voters. A coalition of Alaska voting rights advocates says the state is rejecting Alaska Native ballots at a much higher rate than others. And voting advocates in North Dakota continue to fight against rules that make it harder for Native voters to prove their eligibility. We'll hear about those and other voting access issues to keep an eye on, coming up right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Peltola with 91,206 votes and Sarah Palin with 85,987. That was the moment Wednesday afternoon in downtown Anchorage that Democrat Mary Peltola and her team learned that she had won Alaska's special election for U.S. House. She's Yupik from Bethel and will be the first Alaska Native to serve in Congress. Yeah, I will have that distinction, um, but I think what's most important is that I'm an Alaskan and um, being sent to represent all Alaskans. And yes, I, uh, being Alaska Native is part of my ethnicity, but I'm much more than my ethnicity. Peltola is a former State House representative from rural Western Alaska. She's the former director of the Kuskokwim River Intertribal Fish Commission. Her region is heavily dependent on salmon, but is suffering another year of abysmal returns. With 51.5% of the vote in the state's first-ranked choice election, she defeated former Governor Sarah Palin, who was three percentage points behind. The term ends in January. She'll have to beat Palin again in November for the next House term. University of North Dakota President Andrew Armacost on Wednesday apologized to Native communities and expressed regret that the university has remains of ancestors and sacred objects. In March, faculty and staff approached him with information that they found hundreds of containers of sacred items during the course of their work on campus. They also found human remains believed to be partial skeletal remains from dozens of individuals. After the discovery, the university reached out to tribes. The university has been collaborating with more than a dozen tribes for more than four months to make sure repatriation efforts are handled properly. During a press conference, Armacost took responsibility for the university's mistakes and committed to tribes that they'll be returned home. He also wants to make sure Native Americans on campus have support. The awareness of this work will allow us to have open conversations with the students, faculty, and staff at the University of North Dakota about the importance of repatriation and our commitment to see it through. Yesterday, we held two open sessions for our American Indian campus members. The first was with faculty and staff. The second was with students. Please know that this is an extraordinarily traumatic time for them. Counseling services are available on campus. Lane Lyons, Turtle Mountain Band of Chippewa Indians, is a member of the Repatriation Committee. We are so grateful for the help, guidance, and trust that we have been given by so many. At this start of the process, we felt anger, hurt, sadness. However, we can now feel a sense of relief and hope because our ancestors will be returned to their rightful place 
and that's home. The university plans to hire cultural resource consultants and is working with government agencies to make sure federal law is followed. The repatriation work could take years. A champion archer is competing in Italy for the U.S. and the Chickasaw Nation of Oklahoma. Chickasaw citizen Shiloh Butts is competing in the Reinhardt World Archery 3D Championships. Shooting in the biannual event has been his goal for the last four years. The event kicks off September 4th. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Mary Peltola just became the first Alaskan Native person elected to Congress. Peltola is Yupik. Her victory is a sure reminder of the influence of Alaska Native voters. She will face former Alaska Governor and Vice Presidential Candidate Sarah Palin and another conservative challenger in November to see who holds the congressional seat permanently. The election comes at a time of questions about voter access in Alaska. The Native American Rights Fund is part of a lawsuit alleging that Alaska Native ballots are rejected at a much higher rate than others. We'll hear about that more this hour. And there are continued questions about Native voter access elsewhere around the country. Today on our show, we'll talk with an attorney and voting rights advocates on the access issues to watch for this election. We also want to hear from you. Are voter disenfranchisement issues at work in your community? What problems are you seeing at your polling places? Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. You can also post a comment on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Our Twitter handle is 1-800-99-NATIVE. First up and on the line in Rosebud, South Dakota, is O.J. Seaman Sr. He is the co-executive director for Four Directions Vote. He is Rosebud Sue. O.J., welcome back to NAC. Well, thank you, and good morning or an afternoon or wherever you're at. Uh, I, it's really always a pleasure uh, to uh, appear on the show and to talk about issues uh, that you bring up. They're all important, and I appreciate being here. OJ, we appreciate you. It's always a pleasure to have you as well. And let's start off with this historic moment for Native representation in Congress. I know Alaska is not your state, but Mary Peltola is now the first Alaska Native person to serve in Congress and could now be considered the favorite to also win that seat in November. How significant is this? Uh, I mean, we have been seeing so many, many miracles, basically. But, 
you know, uh, with her win, uh, it's it sending another native uh, into Congress. I mean, her victory shows really that the native vote does matter, uh, as it did with Secretary Holland, then con- uh, Congresswoman Holland out of New Mexico, Sharice Davis in Kansas. You know, we got natives running uh, for federal offices, offices all through the United States. We got like uh, Mercedes Krause. Uh, she's an Oglala Lakota running for the second house district in Nevada. I mean, so every time that we have a candidate pull a victory out like this, it gives us more opportunity to tell who we are. And I know the candidates, you know, don't go there just, just as a native. They go there for all citizens. But a lot of times what lacks in Congress and, and throughout the United States is an education of who we are, what we do, and, and why we should matter. I mean, we are nations within a nation. Uh, we're the minority of the minority. But every time that there is an election, our people step up, they step out, and they have to jump through the hurdles, the barriers, the miles, and yet they still get there and they vote. So I, I'm, I'm very uh, happy for. Uh, uh, Mary, and I know she's going to do the state of Alaska uh, a wonderful job, and I also know that she will do, as far as being in the House, a good job for all Americans in the United States. OJ, one of the really interesting and actually inspiring aspects of this whole um, runoff election is the fact that it was a relatively civil um, campaign. I, I, I mean, especially now with these elections being so vitriolic and, and there's just so much negativity. And a lot of people are attributing um, that to Peltola's determined positivity. And, and do you think she could be the person to change uh, some of these divisive politics that have become so prevalent in recent years? Oh, of course I do. I mean, if you look anywhere where there is a native within the, the uh, federal office, their their uh, demeanor is one of which they want to be able to cooperate. And, and honestly, in Indian country, what you do is you look at the positive things in life in order to get you through the day. And that's how you try to approach your, your conversations, uh, even with fellow politicians or opponents. And, and so... I mean, I, I think uh, natives are actually setting a tone. They, they've changed this country over and over through voting, and I think they're going to actually change the attitude of how campaigns are run in the future. Now, one thing we have to remind ourselves, um, this is a big victory here last night up in Alaska, but of course, this is all going to happen again in, in two months when... Mary Peltola and these other candidates, uh, they're going to run off again for that permanent um, position there, that that house in, in Congress, excuse me, that seat in Congress. And what do you think uh, her chances are going into to the main election coming up the, the midterm in November? Does she have a good chance of, of retaining that seat that she won last night, do you think? I, I think she has more than a good chance. And, you know, one thing I want to, to bring out is the Alaska natives that that actually they have a I mean you got to actually ride a plane in to visit them and yet they have organizations there in Alaska that are able to to provide um, different help in order to get uh, individuals to vote and their vote is very powerful and they use it 
And I think that once a candidate gets in on like the special election, they're going to pay attention to what she does and stuff. But they're also going to an incumbent always has an advantage. And so I, I think uh, Miss uh, Paltola is going to, uh, you know, win the next election uh, easy. Folks, if, if you're listening, especially anybody up in Alaska who is celebrating this recent victory, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'd really love to hear your perspective on what you thought of, of last night's special election victory. Again, Murray Peltola, first Alaska Native person elected to Congress. And one of our guests is actually up in Anchorage right now. Joining us from Alaska is Megan Condon. She's a staff attorney with the Native American Rights Fund. Megan, thanks for joining us. Good day. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, so good to be with you today. It's great to have you too, Megan. And tell us, what is the mood up there in Anchorage right now after this big win last night? Well, I think it's uh, such a historic and exciting moment, and it's uh, difficult to describe how much this means uh, to so many of us across the state. And are, are you talking to people, or do you see people out and signs and are people galvanized now that, I mean, this was, you know, we here at the studio, we were talking uh, earlier this week and it, it didn't look great for Mary Peltola. We really thought that, that Sarah Palin was going to pull it off. She's got, for better or worse, so much star power. And here, this was a major upset. And I think a lot of folks were surprised. Were you surprised at all? Well, I, I guess I just would say I'm so excited uh, to see uh, Mary Papola's victory and to see um, what's to come and all that she will accomplish. Um, so, Well, folks, if, you, if, you're, if you're up in Anchorage area, if you're anywhere in Alaska, not just Anchorage, if you're in any of our, our listening areas in Alaska, please give us a call. Let us know what your thoughts are on this historic political victory last night for Mary Peltola, 1-800-996-2848. And let's go back to OJ and... Um, OJ, let's talk a little bit about what's going on there in your state of South Dakota. Uh, I know there has been some redistricting there um, that has really reshaped the collective Native vote. Can you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, actually, we participated in all the hearings that they had for redistricting. We thought we were doing quite well. Uh, we were able to take some natural boundaries from the Crow Creek Reservation and include them into a, a, their district. So uh it it consists of all their natural boundaries in their communities uh we were able to uh uh create another district in rapid city where we had a uh, 33% native uh people at a voting age um which basically opens that up to uh the candidates actually have to talk to the natives in order to to get a vote uh, we thought we were doing well, and then all of a sudden we we come up with uh, Lyman County, and they go, you know what? Uh, it was funny because their attorney referred to uh, uh, the lower rural tribe, the Indians, the the natives there, as as the county's Indians. I mean, it, it kind of upset me. Uh, but when you're at a hearing, you got very little to say as far as uh, interrupting somebody. But they went where the tribes have a large enough population to take one or two districts. They went and made it so that it was at large. Now, that 
uh, decision was challenged in federal court, and the judge basically spanked them and said, no, you're not going to do this. You are going to create districts where natives are going to have uh, a say-so. Uh, another case, uh, working with Demos and NARF, uh, we did an investigation, uh, and we, we found out it's called the the easiest way to say it is the motor voter law, uh, which requires states to do certain things in order to register voters. Well, we found that with some of the social programs that the states and counties were using, natives would go in and they would register to vote or turn their voter registration in, and they would throw it in a trash can right in front of them. Uh, and they they just did some things that were just so outrageous uh, that the judge finally turned around and of the 12 or 10 claims that he found for eight of them. Uh, but that there is why voter registration is down. People try to register and yet either they're, you know, it's thrown away in front of them or it's lost in the files. Uh, and, and so it makes it very difficult. Uh, and, if you're, you know, you're supposed to, as a, a uh, election official, if, if something's wrong with a, a voter registration, you're supposed to send it back to them. Well, a lot of them say they do, but I can tell you a lot of natives saying they, they never got anything from the election official, show up to vote, and they're not registered. So, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we always have to keep in constant eye because I'm telling you, elections can be won by 20 votes. Elections can be won by 1,000 votes. And we're speaking. The native population. I'm sorry, OJ. I'm we're going to have to take a break here, but we definitely want to continue this this train of thought here. And I know that, uh, unfortunately, uh, South Dakota has um, has a rough history when it comes to voting access for native people. And we're going to learn more about that history with OJ right after this break. Stay with us. Experts are sounding the alarm over a growing mental health crisis in the U.S., and Native residents are among those hardest hit. There are some creative solutions, including art therapy, that draw on cultural connections to help Native people heal. We'll talk about the clinical power of artistic expression in the next Native America Calling. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about voter disenfranchisement today. Tell us what you think. Is voter access fair and available in your community? Join our conversation. Call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have O.J. Seaman Sr. on the line. He's the co-executive director for Four Directions Vote. And before break, O.J. was reminding us that elections can be won with as few as 20 votes, so certainly every vote counts by all means. And O.J., um, you know, South Dakota, there was at, at one point they had to answer to Congress about voting access because of, of a history of overt racism. And before break, you talked to us about Native people having their voter registrations thrown in the trash. And so tell us a little bit more about this really checkered history that the state of South Dakota has and its relationship with its Native voters. 
Well, they, they have a real poor history with Native voters. Uh, South Dakota, I mean, we, we hear about the, the South and, and how things are going down there and how voters are treated down there. But South Dakota has had more civil rights cases filed uh, against the state than any other state in, in, in the United States. And we've won, I think, like 23 of them. And uh, it, it's it's a constant battle. I mean, it's like one of those where you wake up in the morning and go, okay, do I have to file a lawsuit today? I mean, it's just like breathing here in South Dakota. Uh, and, and yet they lose over and over. But one thing South Dakota has, it has like an assurance alliance in which all the counties and the cities and towns they put into this insurance alliance. And so any time that they want to deny the right of an Indian or a native to vote, all they do is open up that checkbook for the insurance alliance and these counties that basically couldn't afford a lawsuit now have the money from Sioux Falls, Rapid City, Aberdeen, Watertown, putting in the pool of money to pay attorneys to fight us. And, and the thing about it is, the money that they spend in court and pay these attorneys would have cost about 10% of, of what it would have actually cost to, to do what we asked and do the right thing. So uh, it's got a bad history, uh, and unfortunately, uh, I don't think or see it getting any better uh, in the near future because, like I said, this lawsuit we just uh, that was just settled on, on uh, Laurel Rule with Lyman County um, was a few months ago. And so it's like it's never ending. And it seems like the thing, if you do the same thing over and over and it don't work, it's kind of crazy. South Dakota has been doing the same thing over and over and over. They've lost over and over, and yet they still do it. OJ, what you're describing is a, a well-oiled political machine that is actively working to undermine the Native American vote there in the state of South Dakota. And I want to ask you, because um, this goes back to history again, do Native Americans have a specific right to vote according to South Dakota state law? Well, according to the federal law, in 1924, we were granted citizenship. Uh, but, you know, there's a history there. As of 19, I think it was 81, we had to sue in order uh, for a native to run for a county office. And, you know, let me throw this out there real quick. It, it, everybody thinks that natives are, are, you know, yes, we can change presidencies. We can elect senators. We can elect people in the House. But the barriers really aren't for that. The barriers are within the counties. And they're within the counties because, first of all, they don't want us on the school boards. They don't want us on a county commission. They don't want us on the election boards. If you have a water board, they don't want you on there. And, and so when you're taking and doing these barriers, yes, it's going to affect the national election. But what it really is all about is opening up the door and looking right out to your county. That is where the fight is all about. Uh, and I think a lot of people forget about that. And, and so... You know, we not only need people running for office, uh, you know, in, in, for the House and the Senate, uh, we need people running for school boards, county commissioners, uh, auditors, election officials. I mean, we need to start uh, getting within our own communities and then start to go back out again. So uh, 
I hope I answer your question. I get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OJ, thanks for that update there from South Dakota. We've got a caller on the line now. Lynette is listening on KNBA in Anchorage, Alaska. Lynette, hello. Oh, good morning. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you for taking my call. And I would like to say that I have ran for Congress against the late uh, Congressman Don Young, and he was very hard to beat. I didn't win the primary, um, and I would like to congratulate Mary because I know that it was a very brave thing, and I know that she is very dedicated to the Native people. Um, she also knows firsthand about the the scarcity of our salmon, not only in the Kuskokwim, but the Yukon River, which has, for the second time in in a year, I mean, in the in the past, it's not had the salmon that was there, and the people are not doing good. So I'm very, very happy that she is there to represent us, and she has more of the Native perspective than anybody else. So I'm very happy that she won. And, yes, I think that O.J. was very correct in saying that we not only need, you know, people in the high-up offices, but we need Native people all over in the community. Lynette, thanks for, for calling in. And please stay on the line because I want to ask you a question. Uh, you mentioned the fishing, and I know that uh, Ms. Paltola, she led a coalition of tribes working to protect the state's fisheries up there in Alaska. And how do you, significant do you think that that fishing vote was in her victory last night? I think it was very significant. Um, she has been a um, legislature for 10 years, you know, here in Alaska at the state capitol in Juneau. And so I know she fought on many different levels. And I think that uh, represent, you know, representing not only the Yupik area, um, but also she knows the issues from all over Alaska. I also hold a, um, a seat on the Anchorage Advisory Fishing Game Committee here for another, I believe, another three more years. And so it's very, very important because a lot of times we just get overlooked. And so it's important that our voice is heard. Lynette, thanks for calling and sharing that background. And, and again, uh, a political candidate yourself, really appreciate your calling in today. Let's uh, speak with another one of our guests now. Again, we have Megan Condon. She is a staff attorney with the Native American Rights Fund. She's up in Anchorage. And Megan, um, I want to ask you, there was a, a recent lawsuit that was filed um, by an Arctic village regarding voting rights advocates and access. And can you tell us a little bit more about NARF's role in that lawsuit? Yeah, uh, NARF is uh, working with the ACLU of Alaska and uh, Perkins Coie, uh, and we brought suit on behalf of Arctic Village Council, uh, the League of Women Voters, and two individual Alaskans. Um, to seek a notice and cure process for absentee ballots. Um, under the current system, the Alaska Division of Election uh, doesn't notify an absentee or mail-in voter until after their ballot has been rejected. So there's no opportunity for the voter to go in and correct um, mistakes before they're disenfranchised. 
We saw during the special primary election that was held in June, um, that was the first statewide all-male ba all ballot election, um, high rejection rates throughout the state, 4% uh, statewide. 3% um, of all those ballots were rejected for correctable errors, um, for example, a lack of voter signature, a lack of a witness signature, or a lack of a proper identifier. Um, even more troubling, we saw significantly higher rates of rejection in rural Alaska. Um, this represents an outsized impact on Alaska Native voters. Uh, we saw in the four uh, Alaska Native majority house districts rejection rates in the double digits. Um, the highest rejection rate in the Bethel and Lower Kuskokwim area was over 16%. Um, a notice and cure process uh, that allows voters to be timely notified and to have a meaningful opportunity to cure these mistakes um, is important for voters, all voters in Alaska, but it's particularly an important safeguard for Alaska Native voters uh, that already um, face increased uh, obstacles to voting and that have experienced these outsized rejection rates um, of absentee ballots. Megan, these voter access issues up in Alaska how significant have they been historically in terms of um, disenfranchising Alaska Native people and, and their rights to vote? We have seen um, higher rejection rates of absentee ballots in uh, past elections. In the special primary election, which was um, because it was a, a mail-in election, the amount of ballots that were rejection, rejected was um, much higher. Also, because we've seen mail-in voting um, increase in the past few elections, uh, the importance of these safeguards uh, has, has increased in the past couple years. For um, communities like Arctic Village, uh, where uh, for the past several elections there hasn't been in-person voting uh, on Election Day because both of COVID-related uh, safeguards and concerns, as well as uh, lack of poll workers, Safeguards for absentee voting is um, even more important. Megan, we touched on earlier, just in two months, uh, we're going to do this all again. We've got a, a big, big midterm election coming up in November. And um, how confident are you going forward that um, some of these issues that are impacting Alaska Native voters, that they're not going to hurt them come November? Well, we are uh, seeking an expedited schedule in hopes that we can secure relief in time for the November election um, to improve access. Um, but we know there's a lot of uh, voter education and other efforts uh, that, that also help um, to address some of these barriers that um, Alaska Native voters continue to face. We've got another caller, Nicole, listening on KGLP in Gallup, New Mexico. Nicole, thanks for calling us today. Good morning, Sean, and everyone else out there in Indian country. I am so sorry that it seems like the only way we can win as Native people is that we have to sue everybody from little to big. And um, I am just really, really a registered, concerned, very proactive voter with the Navajo Nation. Right currently, there's three former uh, candidates that are um, have applied for recount for the Navajo Nation against Jonathan Nez. And um, the, what the main problem is, it seems to be, is that we have outdated voting machines. Uh, we, our uh, 
Navajo Nation Board of Election Supervisors do not have adequate funding to carry out their jobs. I'm just wondering uh, if that any other nations have that same kind of problem. Nicole, that's a great question. Let's go ahead and let Megan respond to that. Megan, what is the, I mean, you mentioned earlier up there in Alaska, some of these all uh, mail-in votes and elections and things like that. How up-to-date is the equipment, the technology to ensure a fair and accurate election count? So I think that some of the barriers related to election equipment and um, mail-in ballots in Alaska, um, we see issues uh, with uh, mail reaching uh, rural Alaska in a timely way. Uh, We have post office closed which affects um, the ability for election materials to be uh, timely, both mailed to uh, rural areas in Alaska and then um, for ballots to be timely returned. Um, so we do we, I, we do see a lot of barriers related to um, both uh, distance and um, in mail service in Alaska. Thanks, Megan. Let's go ahead and let OJ respond to that as well. OJ, there in, in South Dakota, is that something you folks are keeping close tabs on, the, the type of equipment and all the other technology that goes into managing a, a fair election? Oops, I think we might have lost OJ there. OJ, are you there? Okay. Let's go ahead and take another call. Uh, or OJ, are you there? No, I'm letting you take a call. I was on mute. <laughs> oh, okay. Did you hear my question, OJ? I was just asking about voter technology, equipment and, and technology and, and elections and how closely you folks keep tabs on that up in South Dakota. Uh, not only South Dakota, but all over the country. Uh, and one of the problems that we have, uh, you got to remember that reservations were made before counties. <laughs> and, even, and so what happens is the post offices were usually at a military base, and then they switched over, and the post offices went to the counties and the cities. The post offices never came to the reservations till way later. And so the mail system is always going to be three or four days later than a normal mailing system anywhere in the state. Uh, so mailing issues on reservation is a really a bad thing. And as a matter of fact, the Navajo Nation uh, when it comes to absentee ballots, uh, they could actually get a uh, absentee ballot and fill it out and send it and still not meet the deadline that, that is given to them. I mean, so mailing uh, ballots and, and mail voting is a real big issue and harmful in Indian country. Thanks, OJ. We've got time for another call before our break. We have Jed listening in uh Wisconsin on WOJB. Jed, we've got a couple minutes for you to uh, share your thoughts. You're on the air. Bonjour. Thank you for taking the call. I just wanted to uh, relay something that was relayed to me. A wise man once told me, whether you vote for the lesser of two evils, you vote for evil. So I'm just asking people to be inspired to vote for good. You know, vote your heart. And if you don't have a candidate that represents you or that you're satisfied with, continue to organize and mobilize until that day where you have a chance to vote for someone that you're feeling good about. Um, Because otherwise, I'm afraid it's a lose-lose situation. But I'm not calling to bum people out. I'm calling to inspire them to 
continue to stay active and continue to mobilize so as to have people that actually represent us and the people and that they can feel good about voting for. Thank you. Thank you for that call, Jed, and reminding us of the importance of exercising our our right to vote and also uh, voting with your heart there and really being cognizant of um, who those candidates are and paying attention to the whole political process. Really appreciate that call. And anybody else who wants to join in on this discussion, we're waiting. 1-800-996-2848. That is our number. 1-800-996-2848. If you want to share anything from Mary Peltola's big win up in Alaska last night or any of these other issues we're talking about, voter access, mail-in ballots, South Dakota, other parts of the country, join in our discussion. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We're right back. Early voting has started, but with possible changes in district lines and state election laws, it's more important than ever to know how, when, and where to vote. That's why AARP created state-specific election guides where you can find up-to-date information about how to register, where to vote, the rules for early voting, and key deadlines. You don't have to let uncertainty about the election process keep you from voting. Learn more at aarp.org slash election guides. AARP supports this show. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to get in on our conversation about voter access in Native communities. You can join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. You can also email us at comments at NativeAmericaCalling.com. We're speaking with Megan Condon. She's a NARF staff attorney up in Anchorage. And Megan, um, talking today with, you know, more about Mary Poltola's win up there in Alaska, and also some of these um, long-standing voter access issues in Alaska and other parts of Native America. And yet, despite these constraints on Native voters, both intended and otherwise, we now have an Alaska Native woman in Congress as of, as of, as of today. And what does that say, Megan, about the growing power of Alaska Native voters? Yeah, I would, you know, there's a long history of uh, voter suppression and increased barriers to voting in Alaska for Alaska Native voters. I think um, this really speaks to the tireless effort and um, fight for voting access um, that Alaska Natives uh, have fought and continue to fight. Thanks again, Megan, for joining us today and giving us all those insights from up there in Anchorage. And we've got another guest on the show today on the line in Bismarck, North Dakota, is Nicole Donaghy. She is the executive director with the North Dakota Native Vote. She is Hunkpapa Lakota from Standing Rock. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Nicole, there have been a number of challenges going back many years about voter ID requirements in North Dakota. What is the status there right now? Oh yeah, so the the voter ID law is still in place. Uh, if you, you know, if you're familiar with the the issue, the law was upheld just six days prior to the 2018 election, uh, and that law required our uh, all voters in North Dakota to have a verified residential address on their ID card in order to vote, and so that was very problematic for our our people on the reservation because. Traditionally, 
you know, we don't get our mail at our homes. We utilize post office boxes, and that was what's on our ID cards. And so that law is still very much in effect. Now, this redistricting was handled by a decidedly Republican legislature. How has that redistricting changed uh, the Native vote? Yeah, so the, the redistricting in North Dakota, there's still some issues going on. There's a, there's a lawsuit, two impending lawsuits that, that are uh, occurring right now, but um, North Dakota Native vote advocated uh, for four split-house districts in North Dakota on each reservation so that we were able to to elect our own people for at least one house seat. Um, and so we've, um, we were able to pull off two of those districts that were protected by the Voting Rights Act uh, and the other two reservations, which is Standing Rock and Spirit Lake, are still at large, at large districts. And so uh, Fort Berthold Indian Reservation and Turtle Mountain Reservation, uh, those two districts have been sub-districted and will be going to this uh, upcoming election to elect their own house, uh, their house, their own house member. Now, going into the midterms, are you confident that North Dakota's Native voters are are going to um, to 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 get their votes out there, and, and these redistricting efforts are, are not going to negatively impact their voice? Well, there, that's always the hope for you know an organization like ours to boost voter confidence, to boost voter turnout. But coming off of a pandemic where there's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of issues that have been magnified. Um, it, it's 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 hard to to predict how that's going to to affect the election because as we've seen in 2020, it certainly did. Um, but the redistricting and how that's affecting uh, the the impending election, you know, the county commissions are actually uh, more in charge of deciding where these uh, polling places are. And from the analysis that we've done with with our partners, there's only one polling place in every county on our reservation districts, and that certainly is going to hurt us. What will it take to to have more polling places so more folks can vote? Uh, it's showing up, turning out, showing up to your county meetings, talking to your county commission people, letting them know the hardships it takes for people. The biggest, the biggest barrier to our voting, aside from the cumbersome and complex voter laws here in North Dakota, is transportation and travel. And we've, we've worked with uh, Mato Ohitika Analytics to do a cost analysis um, that shows the routes from, say, Porcupine, North Dakota, on the Sandy Rock Reservation, where there's only one pole open in that county in Fort Yates. That's a 29-mile trip. That's one of the biggest barriers that our people face is getting that ride to the, to the, to the poles when there's only one pole polling place open on the reservation. Now, does North Dakota share in, in some of this long history of, of voter suppression, like what OJ shared with us has, has happened over the years in, in South Dakota? I was actually looking at that the other day, our voting story in North Dakota. And back in 2019, uh, or 2019, sorry, 1919, prior to the state, uh, prior to the uh, creation of our counties in North Dakota, Sioux County, there was 200 and some odd Native American voters there, and that caused uh, an issue with the, the the county and the non-Native people living there. And so it, it does go back quite a ways, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, there's there are certainly issues that continue to happen 
um, despite what happened historically. And so uh, even in our most current uh, legislative biennium, there were 21, there were 21 bills that were proposed that would have affected the, the process of elections in North Dakota. And beyond redistricting, are there other issues likely to surface in the upcoming election or some other time in the future that will limit voter access? Well, just voter confidence, confidence is on a low right now. Um, it's certainly great to hear about what's happening in Alaska and getting that Congress seat filled with an indigenous person. But, you know, that's our job is to inspire people to act, inspire, inspire indigenous action and to get our, our relatives to get engaged in these systems that affect our lives every day. Inspiring folks to act. Thanks, Nicole. We're going to go ahead and take another call quickly here. Michael listening on KNBA in Anchorage. Michael, hello. Hi there. Yeah, I want to say I'm relieved and pleased that Mary Peltola has been elected. I think she'll be uh, a serious representative for Alaska and not there for fame like some others, and will be taken seriously as a representative of Alaska. So I couldn't be happier. Michael, thanks for calling in and, and, and sharing those warm words for Mary Poltola. Nicole, what did, what did you think this morning or, or last night when you first heard that, that Mary had, had won that election? What were your thoughts? That is something that I'm I am so inspired to hear that that change has happened in Alaska, albeit, you know, it's temporary, but, you know, that just shows how much more work that, the indigenous communities all all across the nation have to do to build representation and to fight for that representation. And so it's very inspiring to hear that that's happened in Alaska. My hat goes off to my hat goes off to them. And Nicole, you know, going forward, we're just seeing more and more Native folks elected to, to high level positions in both state, county, local and federal government roles. Um, what do you think that the future holds for us as Native people moving forward, uh, not just these voter access issues, but also with just more candidates and more candidates winning elections? Are, are we just going to continue to move forward with this momentum? I, I believe so. Here in North Dakota, we have, I believe, nine Native American candidates on the ballot, uh, which is a record in my lifetime to see. There's more Natives coming, and as we, you know, see more people standing up and, and putting themselves out there to, to sign up for the school board or for county commission, you know, that will certainly inspire those who are watching. And so there's a lot of work to be done, but uh, building representation is, is a goal and something that we should all work toward. And Nicole, what do you attribute the rise in Native candidates to? Um, I think seeing others, others stepping into those, into those races, like Representative Ruth Buffalo, who, uh, who was the first uh, Native American Democratic woman elected to the House of Representatives here in North Dakota. A lot of people have looked up to her. We supported her race back in 2018. Um, and so seeing others do it and seeing others act, and people are just so fatigued with dealing with issues that come down from decisions that are made without our voice. And so I think that's, that certainly has a lot to do with, with the change in um, the dynamic of, of the political races in our state. And Nicole, what other voter access issues do you anticipate there in North Dakota? Um, so what we've seen in the past is issues with accepting tribal IDs. We've worked, we've had meetings with the county auditors and the state election director, as well as the deputy secretary of state to talk about uh, 
the, the different forms of tribal IDs and what they could expect, but that's always an issue. Uh, we've heard from the New American community uh, in Fargo that uh, if they if there's a voter that has a, a an ethnic sounding name that they're automatically asked to, uh, to verify their citizenship, and so it, it's hard to say. But based on what we've seen in the past, um, you know, we're we're not planning to be surprised by anything that arises in our communities. And are you seeing progress in, in getting Native people into local offices? I'm thinking county clerk seats or even school boards. Oh, that's our goal. And so Turtle Mountain Reservation here has at least two Native Americans running for the county seats. One is an incumbent, um, but we're, we're certainly hoping to work through the redistricting process to make sure that, that these offices are um, are, are the, the, the process is equitable for all of our, our tribal members as well. Uh, our county commissions are actually redistricted at the same time as the legislative redistricting, and so that's something that we're keeping an eye on as well. And you're continuing to get pushback from those tribal IDs. What's it going to take for all of these different polling places to, to finally accept tribal IDs as, as a legitimate form of identification? Well, they are legit. They have to understand they are a legitimate form of identification. They just don't know how to identify them. And so those communication lines that we've opened with the state and the counties uh, to show uh, sample IDs so that they know what to expect. Uh, I always vote with my tribal ID, and I always get you know a moment of hesitancy because they don't expect a tribal ID card coming across in Burley County, North Dakota. And so it, it just takes education and continuing those talks. Okay, we got another caller on the uh, on the line now. Danny, listening in Dillingham, Alaska, on KDLG. Danny, hello. Hello, um, this is yeah. Thanks for receiving my call. I'm I'm just glad that Mary Peltola could uh, pull off the uh, election to rep- take over for Representative Don Young. Thanks, Danny, for calling in. Appreciate it. Yeah, she's filling in. Uh, not filling in. She, uh, the late Don Young, passed away earlier this year, and uh, this election, this special election, was to to finish out that term. So she's going to be in office for several months, and of course, um, the midterm election will decide ultimately who holds that seat for a full term, and that's coming up in November. So that was Danny calling in from Dillingham, Alaska. Uh, Nicole. What got you involved in in voter access issues and, and all this advocacy work you do? Well, I've always been a voter since I was old enough to vote at 18. We went in my, my government class to go vote. But uh, my career in um, grassroots organizing started in oil and gas issues where I worked in the Bakken here on the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation in North Dakota. And Seeing how decisions are made without the input of the people that live in these communities is problematic. And so it inspired me to be a part of uh, work that that helps us decide who represents us and, and getting involved in, in the political realm and, and taking a role to help Native American people in our communities to understand how, how much of an impact they have on, on elections. And so... Seeing the decision makers and looking behind behind that curtain, so to speak, has, has inspired me to change from environmental toward working on policy and, and elect elections. 
Well, Nicole, thanks again for joining us today and, and really appreciate all of your insights up there in North Dakota. Let's go back to O.J. Siemens. And O.J., what can Native voters do to maintain our vigilance on all of these voter access issues going forward? Well, I think the key thing is to, to keep educated. Um, we, we try to help. Uh, we held the two Native American presidential forums prior to the 2020 election, and I think that really helped uh, educate Native voters and politicians on Native issues. Uh, we recently had a Native candidate forum in Nevada where we had the Attorney General, Secretary of State uh, show up and, and talk to the voters. So the man from Wisconsin, uh, he, he's right on the money. I, you need to take and, and, and pay attention as politicians. Uh, we, we have a, a Native American candidate forum going to happen in Georgia on September 19th and 20th. Uh, we, we sent out over 40 invitations to every candidate that made the general election. Uh, you know, we, we got Senator uh, Warnock, who is going to appear at that panel. We got Stacey Abrams that's going to appear at that panel. We have candidates from six, seven different House districts that are going to attend that forum just so Natives can talk to them about issues that, that are Native issues. And, and we found that these forums are, are not only educational to, to our, our people, but they're educational to the candidates because they never knew about what our issues really are. And for the man and uh, gentleman in, in Wisconsin, we're actually going to have the same type of forum up there. So education is a big key uh, to, to uh, helping our people. And one of the things I'll say real quick, I, I know we're running out of time, but we're nonpartisan, and, and it's for good reason. I'll point out the fact that in, in Alaska, uh, uh, Senator Mikowski was a write-in and won, and that was because of the Native vote. And so, you know, I, I keep repeating over and over that the Native vote is so powerful. All you have to do is show up. We don't need bows and arrows right now. We just need you to get a pen or a pencil and check that box. Okay, trade that bow and arrow for a pen and a pencil. That's O.J. Seaman Sr. speaking with us from up in South Dakota. And, folks, we have now reached the end of our hour. I'd like to thank our guests, Megan Condon, O.J. Seaman Sr., and Nicole Donaghy for an illuminating conversation on voter access in Alaska and the rest of the country. Join us tomorrow as we look at art therapy as a means to relieve mental health trauma. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening to the one, the only, Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, the collective spirit and unifying voice of 37 tribal colleges and universities. For over 45 years, AHEC has worked to ensure that tribal sovereignty is recognized and respected and that tribal colleges and universities are included in this nation's higher education system. Information on a tribal college or university near you at AIHEC.org program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian Country has put its trust in Amerind, providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian Country are Amerind's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.